Thank you. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the first epistle of John. And I want to read verse 16 of chapter 3 and also verse 19 of chapter 4. And that will be my focal point of my message this morning. While you're turning, he said, it is a great privilege to be here. My wife and I certainly are friends of Calvary Baptist in Oshawa. Received an email this morning from John and Lori, and they asked me uh, to convey their greetings to you. They're in, uh, at a Christian retreat in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, I know they appreciate your interest and your, your prayers. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know the gospel of John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 is also a very, very important verse. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The King James Some other translations say this is how we perceive or know the love of God. And what is being said here, because it certainly is the love of God in Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. But what John is saying is this love of God sets the standard for love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then chapter 4 and verse 19, we read, We love because he first loved us. Again, your translation may say we love him because he first loved us, and that is true. He is talking about the love of God primarily. Verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God. But you will discover in the writing of John that he conveys from the Lord Jesus that our love for Jesus can never stop with Jesus, as verse 20 tells us, but it must continue on to the love of our brothers. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Our Father, we know that the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit will do what no tongue can, and that is to reveal the love of God to us in a new and fresh way. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hands or you could be in big trouble. But here's the question. When you were married, how many looking back now realize you were not really in love? No hands, you could pay a big price. I'm one of those. When I got married, I wasn't, now looking back, I wasn't really in love. I thought I was, but it was what the late Ann Landers used to call biochemistry. She said, 
couple meets and think they fall in love and she's, no, 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 it's just a biochemical reaction. I thought it was in love. It really couldn't have been. Met when I was supplying in a church in Montreal. I proposed on the second date. We married six months later, five of which she was in Montreal. I was in New Brunswick. We did not know each other. You can't really love someone you don't know. But I thought it was because she was good looking and I liked that. I discovered she was a good cook, and I liked that. And she was brought up on a farm, I discovered, hard worker, and I liked that. So this is what I was looking for, proposed. She accepted. We were to be married. But to make sure I had covered all my tracks and was not shortchanged, I went to my father, who was a pastor, and was going to marry us perform the ceremony, and I said, Dad, make sure you put in her vows to love, honor, and obey. My dad had taken that out of a ceremony years before. He said he got tired of making women lie. And I said, uh, Dad, put it in. And uh, me tires and her Jane. I, I didn't say that. That was my attitude. So he did. Well, you say, how's it working for you, as that other Dr. Phil would say? Not quite the way I had planned. On October 9th, 1965, she stood beside me before God and witnesses and promised to love, honor, and obey. On or about October the 13th, 1965, (laughs) I had a reality check. I discovered something that my... Dad hadn't told me. No one had told me. I was totally unprepared for. Do you know what Jane does when Tarzan gets too bossy? She cries. Talk about taking the joy out of getting your own way. If that's what you want, you're just going to do it. I don't care. Old saying, happy wife, happy life. It's true. So we renegotiated the contract. She would make all the little decisions. I would make the big decisions. In 45 years, there hasn't been a big decision yet. (laughs) I've been happy. But as we went along, I discovered something. I discovered she was a very selfless person. She always put me first. For several years, there was just the two of us before children. And, and at any mealtime, I would notice I had the best of the food. If she even toasted two slices of toast, she would examine them to, to see which one was toasted the better and give it to me. I discovered she was very sacrificial if we both weren't feeling well, she would want me to rest and she would take care of me. And if it was her needs versus my needs, she would always sacrifice those needs for me. And then I discovered her love was steadfast and she loved me always and I could always depend on her and she always believed in me. And every time I come back from being out, she greeted me with a smile and And I began to realize what a valuable person I had in my life. 
And I began to not fall in love, but grow in love. And I remember one day in 1993, as I walked beside her in a hospital corridor as they wheeled her to the operating room to take her to a large tumor, and I had to leave at the operating door. And for the next three or four hours, I, I did my best to make deals with God. I, I tried to make bargains with him. I made promises to save my wife. I know that's not theologically correct. It's not scriptural. The Bible's very clear. God doesn't take bribes, but I tried it anyway. Because I didn't want to lose her. Not because of what she could do for me, but because of who she was to me. Now you say that's a nice touching uh, love story. It's obvious your wife's a jewel, you're a jerk, but we <laughs> but we really came here this morning to hear about Jesus. What does that story have to do with the Christian life? It has everything to do with the Christian life. Because you meet them, I meet them. There's probably some here this morning that maybe have gone through there and are saying, been there, done that. We meet people who are ready to give up on God. They're ready to divorce Jesus. Why? Because their love for him is tied up on on what he does for them on a daily basis, and if they pray for something, they want something, and they ask for it, and God doesn't give it to them, they're convinced he does not love them, and therefore, they're ready to turn their back on him. They're not going to love him either. So that brings me to the question of the day. It's a very important question. And that is, why should we love Jesus? Why should we love God? You know, that question, especially if you're here today and, and, and you're not a Christian. And, and you're wondering, well, if I became a Christian, what is in it for me? The right answer to this question is a deal breaker. Because if you have the wrong answer... You're not going to make it in the Christian life. Why should we love Jesus? Well, I won't keep you in suspense. The answer is very clearly in that 19th verse of chapter 4. We love God and others. We love him because, note that word because, that's key, We love him because he first loved us. That's it. To take that question a step further, when and where did he first love us? And that question is also answered in this chapter. Go back to verse 9. When did he love us? How did he love us? Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. See what he's saying? You're to love him because he first loved us. And how we know of that love, how he showed that love, what has to be the basis of our response to him is the love that he showed for us on the cross of Calvary. John, in his epistle, if you read it, you will discover he moves sort of in cycles. He's dealing with different subjects, and he's keep coming back to them as he does with this one, and he's already dealt with it in that 16th verse of chapter 3. He says, this is, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He has already said, this is, this is love. This is the standard for love. This is the greatest example of love. John Stott, in his little commentary in 1 John, makes a very interesting observation. He says in verse 15 of chapter 3, you have the greatest example of hate, where Cain hated his brother and murdered him. And then in verse 16, you have the greatest example of love, where Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Greatest example of hate, Cain took Abel's life. Greatest example of love, Jesus Christ gave his life for us. So, here's the point. And if you get this point, you've got my message. We should base our love for God... Not on what he does or doesn't do in our daily life. We should base it only on what he has already done for us on the cross. Our love should not change because... God disappoints us in not letting us have something we really wanted. That's what John's saying. This this message came to me last winter. My sister and husband were visiting us in Florida. And my wife and I have so praised the Lord for what's happened in the life of my sister and her husband because my older sister was in rebellion against God for many years, turned her back on God divorced him basically been a big turnaround the last few years they got back in church serving the Lord they're becoming almost fanatics they'll go to church every Sunday and then they'll come home watch David Jeremiah and others and my, my sister for the first time she'll call me to, with a scriptural question or a theological question tremendous change and they also shared that about their four children, that three of them, plus some of the grandchildren, are now also in church and wanting to serve the Lord. Tremendous answer to prayer, but there's one holdout, it's Tammy. And that came as a surprise to me, because Tammy was the one I thought would be serving the Lord. But they told me that Tammy wasn't. See, Tammy was my parents, her grandparents' favorite, and she spent quite a bit of time there, and my dad and mom told her, taught her about Jesus, and 
and led her to her commitment to Christ. My dad baptized her. But they said that a number of years ago, Tammy prayed for different things, one thing in particular, but she prayed and cried out to God, and she desperately wanted it, and God did nothing, and so therefore she said, God must not love me, and so she did not want to have anything to do with God. You know, that happens. We lose sight of why we should love God. And we base it on what he's doing or not doing for us now. I remember years ago when I was working with Pastor Rick in Chatham, and one day, the next day was his day off, and I said, uh, would you like to do a round of golf? And He said, yes, I would. I really, really would, but this is going to cost me big with Lynn. And just the previous week, he had come in, he had shared with me how that it had been Lynn's birthday and all he had done for her, he got out and brought in Chinese food and I think a Dairy Queen birthday cake and done all this. He told me how thrilled that Lynn was and how pleased. And of course, he was pleased with himself too, rightly so. So I said, well, Rick, uh, remind her what you did for her on her birthday last week. Uh, I said, it won't work, you don't know Lynn. With Lynn, it's what have you done for me lately? Well... That's okay for Lynn to keep Rick's feet to the fire. He hasn't done all he should for her. He doesn't have any nail prints in his hands for having given his life for her. But we should never treat God that way. We should never say to our Lord, what have you done for me lately? Because he does have nail scars in his hands. He has given his life for us. That's the greatest thing he can do. We can ask no more. Therefore, we should love him because he first loved us. And we need to focus on that love displayed at Calvary. That love we learn from this chapter is a selfless love. Even more so than my wife's because God is perfect. My wife isn't perfect. She still has a flower too, the Lord and I continue to work on. But, but see, God's love is perfect because he is perfect and his love is selfless. That is, is revealed to us in verse 9 of chapter 4. Notice what it says. This is how God showed his love for us. And then in verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See what he's saying? He's saying that that God did not wait for us to love him. He loved us. It wasn't a matter that we loved God and he responded to our love. We didn't love God. In fact, we were in rebellion against him. But his love was not selfish. He did not say, I will wait till you love me and wait till you do something for me before I love you and do anything for you. No, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us before we loved him. 
He loved us when there was no reason for him to love us. His love was selfless. His love was also sacrificial, and he tells us that in verse 10, he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. So we pointed out this is the greatest example of love. There is no greater love than that. Jesus told his disciples that in, in John 15, 13. He says, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In chapter 10 and verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd of the sheep, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Sacrificial love. A week ago, Friday, Leo and I were driving from Toronto, driving along what is now known as the Highway of Heroes, and we discovered we were following the latest soldier to be repatriated from Afghanistan, having laid down his life there. The second time that's happened, a year ago, we were in, a year ago we were so close we could see procession just ahead of us. But as people gather and they're on the overpasses and there's fire trucks, there's policemen, there's people with banners, there's people with flags. Why are they doing it? I mean, there are people that are killed every day in our country. Why do we give that attention to a soldier who has died? Because we say that when a soldier lays down his life for his country, he has made the supreme sacrifice. There's no greater sacrifice. And so we honor him or her, and rightly so. You see, our Lord Jesus has made the supreme sacrifice. There is nothing more he needs to do for us. You say, well, doesn't he do anything more for us? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he does so much more. Uh, We could spend the rest of the day with testimonies of answered prayer and what he's done for us. But you see, he doesn't have to do anything more. He's already made the supreme sacrifice. And our love should be dependent only on that sacrifice. His love is selfless and his love is sacrificial and his love is also steadfast. It's dependable. Look down, verse 16 of chapter 4. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And then he adds, God is love. You see what he's saying? God's love is steadfast, it's dependable. He said it's it's a love that we know and you can rely on that love. In the original, that word translated rely is a word that means to believe or trust. What he is saying is that God's love is a love that you can believe in that you can trust in, you can rely upon it. It is dependable. Why? Because God is love. He can only love. It's his character. It's his nature. That's why the cross was necessary 
because of his love. You can depend upon it. It doesn't change. I remember a line from Shakespeare I learned in high school, and I hated Shakespeare. I had to study it. In fact, English literature, I ranked about along with the root canal. My grade 12 English literature teacher was the principal of the high school. He, that was the only class he taught. We had a grade 12 class, all boys, and I think to sort of intimidate us, we had the principal. But Mr. Arthur's, his name was, he, he made Shakespeare almost painless. But a line from Sonnet 116 stuck out in my mind that he taught us. It goes like this, love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is a forever fixed mark. Mr. Arthur says that that's a profound statement on love, that, that real love doesn't change because the other person changes. Real, real love doesn't look for excuses to change. Real love, when it finds alteration, doesn't change. It's a fixed mark. It's forever a fixed mark. See, that's God's love. That's God's love. We can rely upon it. It's there. It's who he is. We love him for who he is and what he's done for us on the cross, not what he is doing in our daily life. So therefore, if God answers that prayer for that promotion, that job, that healing, that relationship, he answers it and gives it to us because he loves us. But if God doesn't answer it and give us that promotion, that healing that relationship. It's because he loves us. His love never changes. It's unchanging. One lesson, and we're done. That lesson is this. We need, in in, in order for our love to remain constant. We need to focus on the cross. That is the central point of Christianity. That is the message of the Bible. It all points ultimately to the cross. We need to focus on the cross so we will never doubt his love. You know, that's why he established communion. Told us to remember his death. We are not commanded to remember his birth. We do, in big time. That's okay. But we are commanded to remember his death. And when he established the communion service, and he said, do this in remembrance of me, he did it because we have a tendency to forget. And what he is saying is, remember, remember, 
what I did at Calvary. We sing about it. We sang about it this morning. And there's something that just lifts my heart a little higher when we sing about the cross. It just connects, and I know it does with you. I remember years ago, probably 40 years ago, doing a survey in church I was pastoring and asked them to list their five favorite hymns or gospel songs. And in almost every case, either number one or number two was the old rugged cross. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Those trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Some of those great songs have been written and are being written about the cross. I think one of the the greatest songs about the cross, and it's one that should be our daily song, was written by Darlene Check of Hillsong. She wrote, Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame and love, you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb, seated on the throne. We should be thankful every day for the cross. Her name is Heidi Michaels. I saw her in U.S. network news about a month and a half ago. It was the week before Father's Day, I recall. Heidi had gone to work in her father's store in Minnesota. Her father had taken the day off to celebrate, I believe it was his 56th birthday. But he heard in the news that, that there was thunderstorms and tornadoes headed their way, so he went to the store to check on Heidi. While he was there, the storm hit full blast, tornado hit full blast, and the store began to crumble, and Heidi cried out to her father, Daddy, help me, and he ran to her, and he pushed her to the floor, and he covered himself with his body, and, and the debris began to strike him at, 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 at fast speeds, horrific speeds, and, and he died. Heidi lived. And that night at the hospital, she was interviewed, and through her tears, she kept saying, I love him so much. I love him so much. He saved my life. I love him so much. That reporter had said to her, now, now Heidi, just, you know, and that was a nice thing your father did for you and saving your life, but don't be too, too, too hasty here before you say you love him. I mean, don't you think you should wait till his will is read and make sure he's left you everything you want? Heidi would have been outraged. She would have said, he gave his life for me. Nothing else matters. I love him so much. Shouldn't we say that about Jesus? He gave his life for me. I love him so much. Let's pray. Draw me nearer, nearer, 
Nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.